What up, everyone? Pat Mayo here. I want to let everyone know that the Siege and I recorded this show a week ago today, so some of it got a bit out of date. We had to put it on the back burner for a sec before we could get around to editing it. Uh, obviously, there's a, been a few injuries since we've talked about this. Most of it really holds up, so enjoy the show, and don't be too triggered by the injuries that aren't talked about. All right? Enjoy. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, continuing our coverage of 2019 fantasy football, the lead-up to the season. This is where all the hard work is done, but it doesn't end there. It's not like we're going to go away as the season starts. In fact, we'll be doing NFL shows every single day during the season. So you're going to want to subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience. Bunch of ways to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars. The best way to do it, smash the like button to the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and give me your boldest call for 2019 because that's what we're talking about we're going to talk about positional battles today and my guest is going to have his hottest takes his top five hottest takes that apparently he believes we'll see we'll dig through it see if that's actually the case for the upcoming fantasy football season the other ways to get to a draw for 20 dk dollars leave a review on itunes stitcher spotify five stars DraftKings handle something nice about the show and then on instagram follow me at the pme heart one of the football photos that are up there and then just leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section boom those are the three ways you can get into a random draw for 20 dk dollars winners announced on a monday's show every single week if you want to check out all of the other fantasy football podcasts that we've done in the lead up to the season you can hit the description or the comment section of this video and podcast boom all the links are right there and you can check out all my rankings up on dkplaybook.com now that i got that out of the way from arborpro.com he is head hedge trimmer it is cj Kaltenbach, the siege what's going on man what's going on pat how are you good has anyone ever called you sieges christ no they should. You should get, like, the Jesus Christ superstar music. You can make an entire thing out of it. I'm just giving you ideas here. <laughs> I'm going to have to look into that. All right. So let us know what's going on at Arbor Pro as the lead-up to the season is coming out. Yeah. Uh, so season-long football content, like here, is uh, fully underway. Um, we've got our, our rankings. Um, me, uh, Nelson Sousa, who plays some of the highest-stakes season-long leagues in the world, uh, his rankings are up. His do not draft list is up, which is not your standard do not draft list. Give me one. It's, uh, g- g- give me one guy. Give me a teaser for the do not draft list because I need to know who not to draft. I assume it's someone I like because I usually have bad picks. So I assume the opposite of that would be a do not draft. Uh, G- uh, George Kittle. Oh, Kittle me timbers. How about that? Uh, that's going to be interesting. I see that's part of your hot takes too. So I'm curious to hear about this. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that's that's one of the good ones uh, on the Do Not Draft list. Um, we do uh, draft casts, so just shows where we break down drafts as we go through them uh, for national season-long competitions. So uh, we're, we're fully underway, and podcasts as well. Do you know that when people see you on one of my shows, because you come on like two, three, four times a year, that people get about as triggered as Tim normally is in his day-to-day life? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. I, I I have hot takes and some of them are going to go over well and some of them are not going to go over well. But what's life worth living if you don't have an opinion and stand by it? Yeah, it's true. I mean, just, just look at Tim. That, that's Tim's entire thing. He has terrible takes. He stands by them. And the- Tim is just impressive. Like, there's just nothing that man can't curse. Isn't it shocking? It's uh, just, just things that you're just like, all right, like this one's going to be fine. And then 
you know, Leroy McElroy can't make the cut. And then he starts making like five or six birdies. And you're just like, he's going to make it now, isn't he? Yeah. And, and then the only reason that he doesn't make it is because Kim's like, oh, I guess he's going to make the cut now. And then all of a sudden he misses like a four foot putt. Like it, it's it's like clockwork. People don't believe in the curse, but I, I find that frankly pretty surprising. There are two issues I did want to get to before we dig into your hot takes, though. Number one is this Melvin Gordon situation. I've been talking about it a bunch. I just assumed he would report for camp. But now, I mean, I saw a Schefter tweet about it. It looks more and more like that's not going to happen. Uh, if he doesn't report to camp and you're doing a draft before you actually know, we and we discovered this Le'Veon Bell situation last year that didn't turn out well for anyone like what does that do like what's the risk tolerance that you need to have for Melvin Gordon in order to draft him without knowing if he's going to show up because all logic should dictate that he shows up it's not like he's being franchised and become a free agent next year that's not the case he has to play at some point I'm I, I think that we're looking at a situation where he's probably not going to show up for all of training camp at this point, because what's the point of him showing up to camp? I think the Chargers at the end of the day cave, and they're gonna they're just gonna go ahead and, and give him the extension. Um, they really don't have another option. Justin Jackson, as much as people want to hype him up, just really isn't a realistic option for a team that's a Super Bowl contender. And Austin Eckler is he's a nice you know PPR back, but he's not a number one. And this team has title aspirations. End of the day, I think they pull the trigger. But if you don't know, by late August, really tough for me to draft him in like a standard 12-team league. Something where you're playing against thousands of other teams, I I would probably pull the trigger in the third round because no one else will have him that late. Yeah, that's an interesting way to approach that. Most people, I know the people that subscribe to Arbor Pro, they're playing in the big high stakes leagues. The people are watching the Pat Mayo experience. They're trying to beat their buddies. So as it pertains to Melvin Gordon, if you were in like a 12-team redraft league, let's say it's PPR, we'll get into Eckler versus Jackson here in a second. Like what would be the breaking point if you didn't know? Like if if he dropped into the fourth round, I still think I would take him there and just hold my breath and hopefully I have a running back one. Yeah, I would probably start thinking about it in rounds four or five, probably round four. But you're talking to someone that just got absolutely burned by Le'Veon Bell last year, (laughs) and that definitely is still a factor to me. And he only is giving up like $2.7 million if he misses the first eight weeks of the season. For someone that wants $10 million plus a year, that's not a whole lot of money. It's not like Le'Veon Bell who gave up the franchise tag, which is $20 million. Melvin Gordon's going to give up a whole lot less money here to miss games. So I I, I think Melvin Gordon has more leverage than even Le'Veon did. No, see, I would say it's the other way around. I feel like Melvin Gordon has far more to lose in this situation if he ends up holding up. Because, yes, Bell, he had the franchise tag and he gave up $20 million by not playing. But after the fact, he was able to go out and sign a contract. If Melvin Gordon doesn't play this season and he misses the first 10 weeks, whatever it might be, he doesn't accrue his season. He has to come back next year and play on the same contract. Like, he can't get out of this. Well, he could, I think he can miss the first six to eight games and, and accrue the year to free agency. Then, like, let's say at that point you have Austin Eckler and he becomes your number one and he plays 65% of the snaps and Jackson just morphs into the Austin Eckler role, which is what we saw last season when Melvin Gordon got hurt was Eckler played a bunch and Justin Jackson came in to spell him. It wasn't until Austin Eckler actually went down that Jackson actually got some runs. So I would go Eckler as a you know decent pick here. Uh, if we know there's no Melvin Gordon around well over Justin Jackson in this spot, but if everything is just rolling, like why even have this guy back? 
because it's Melvin Gordon and he's still the best running back you got. Like, I, running backs don't matter, but having talented ones is better than having not talented ones. So, but wasn't there, like, before the last two seasons, he was able to maintain a modicum of durability. And even then, it's not like he wasn't immune to getting hurt. He missed time. But, like, for the first two years of his career, everyone's kind of like, Melvin Gordon kind of stinks. I mean, this is all true, Pat, but you look at the Chargers. They don't have an analytics department. Their head coach was a former running backs coach. Like, end of the day, they're going to overvalue the running back position, and they're just going to pay him. Is that week four of the preseason? Is that right before week one? Is that week three? Is that week six? They're eventually going to pay him, though. Yeah, that might be the case. I'm curious to see how this all ends up shaking down, but if it is an extended holdout, that will, because of the Le'Veon Bell situation last year, where you, you mentioned it, Cust mentioned it, because Cust picked him at number one over that was amazing that people know that the possibility of them not playing is out there and it's not like even last year when we didn't know the bell news like for certain like oh he's probably gonna come back like week two week three whenever that he started going like the late second round or like middle of the third round people are gonna be a far more pensive this time around if they actually do think that the holdout is gonna happen so like rounds four rounds five it could be an absolutely wasted pick but most of my fifth round picks are wasted picks anyway that i might as well just take him in case he comes back and he's awesome Oh, I, I would just hope – I would just say draft better, Pat. I mean, I, I can't do that. I try, but it just never works out that way. Well, maybe this year's your year. Maybe so. I, my year was like three years ago. That was an excellent draft year for me. The last two have not been so good. Oh, well, just every three years you show up, right? You're almost like elections. Yeah, yeah, listen, and if you're going to play in, like, some of these giant leagues, it's like playing on DraftKings week after week after week. I think Smiz kind of talked about this when I talked to him about, like, the millionaire maker and why you would max enter. You're not playing to churn out a profit every single week in the millionaire maker. You're trying to win it once, and then you're just good. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the name of the game. And a lot of these, you know, you know, it, a lot of these contests are the same way that you're playing against thousands of people. Like, you're just trying to win. And that just means you're going to have to take risks and not have the same roster as everyone else. It's basically fantasy, daily fantasy, just in season long form. Yeah, and when you get into your redraft leagues, obviously the entire goal is to just make the playoffs. Once you get into the playoffs in like your head-to-head season long league, all bets are off at that point. Like anyone can kind of win if you can sneak your way into the playoffs. So you're looking for a bit more consistency. So uh, off Melvin Gordon, the other thing I did want to discuss with you just a little because I this crop up on twitter a lot of these think pieces about how not only does do running max not matter uh as it pertains to just nfl in general not fantasy but that running the ball is incredibly stupid we've been seeing this for years now but it just seems like it's hitting a point i'm seeing a lot of these pieces coming out and people can yell into you know anywhere canyon all they want about how running backs don't matter but as you just pointed out someone like the chargers no analytics department they're going to overvalue running backs just because I get the idea of these pieces and I actually tend to agree with them uh, that running should be minimized and that the actual, unless you have in a supreme outlier at the position, all running backs are kind of the same. It's a scheme thing. It's an offensive line thing. It's a product of your offense that you can just deploy. One isn't necessarily better than the other. There are just different situations that are created, but we know that teams are going to run the ball. It's like the Colts this year. It's like Andrew Luck's going to throw for 60 touchdowns. Well, if they're up by two touchdowns in every game, Marlon Mack is going to get like 22 carries a game. Because that's just how they're going to play it. They're going to try to milk the clock, pound the ball up the middle. Do you feel like that maybe it's a Twitter bubble that we're looking at uh, with people discussing this and it just hasn't breached out to the rest of the world? Because I don't know who's talking about it and who's not out in the public. But are we overrating what people think that teams are going to be doing with running backs and it's just going to be more of the same? So the Twitter bubble is talking about what teams should 
be doing with running backs, right? And yes. that's always a different conversation than what teams are going to do. And that has a big impact in fantasy in general. I see a lot of pieces out there where they put their own evaluations of the players into the piece when trying to evaluate playing time. Your evaluation doesn't matter. My evaluation of the player doesn't matter. It matters what the team that has the player thinks the player's value is. So if the play, if the team, the best example I have is Alexander Madison uh, on the Vikings behind Dalvin Cook. Everyone in the Twitter universe thinks Madison's not good. You know who thought he was good? The Minnesota Vikings when they used the third round pick on him. He's going to play. Whether I want him to play, whether you want him to play, whether he's not good at the start, like they are, they invested the third round pick in him. He's going to play. And, and I think when we start putting our own talent pr projections into what the teams think, that's when we make our biggest mistakes. Well, I think you kind of hit on it right there. That's the point that I wanted to get to on this. Do you think that any leverage that you can get versus the fantasy community? Because you know, the more enabled and the more empowered the fantasy and Twitter community has become, because a lot of people take them seriously. I look at someone like Warren Sharp, who teams actively contact because he's so good at what he does. Everyone should go to Warren Sharp's site and download his PDF. I just read it last week. It is fucking amazing. It is substantial. Uh, it's very much worth the purchase. There's very few things that I go out and buy. Uh, Warren Sharp's preview to the season is always one of them. Everyone should go download that uh, and buy it off Amazon, buy it off a site, wherever it may be. But when you start getting into rankings like you mentioned player evaluations about what you think and you kind of hit on it it doesn't fucking matter what anyone thinks uh it depends on what the coaches think i think that could be like we talk about well i was gonna say extra two percent but i don't think we're gonna be talking about that too much anymore but just a leverage situation for years it was pro rb because everyone was just drafting running backs in the first and you would get all these great either tight ends or wide receivers they were valued then it flipped uh everyone was taking wide receivers and then just taking running backs early ended up becoming the strategy is trying to leverage this information by just going on historical trends of what some of these teams do what some of these coaches do to identify players and we'll talk about this in the situations later on in terms of camp battles that i think some of them are a lot clearer than people are making them out to be because the internet is hyping up the guy who they like better but just clearly the team doesn't like better. Right. I, I totally agree. And those are, those are situations that, especially this time until people see it on the field, a lot, that's another thing too. People are like, I'll just wait until I see it to draft player X. And it's like, well, once everyone sees it, once you see it, everyone else is going to see it. And the price is gone. The guy's going to go three rounds higher than he was earlier. Like Tyler Murray, like, guess what? If that offense looks good in the preseason, you can tack on a two-round draft penalty to every Arizona Cardinal. So, like, if you want to draft them, the time is, like, now, not in three weeks. Well, I still uh, – I, I try not to do any drafts before, like, the second to last week. I just I, – I don't care that much in the middle of July to be doing fantasy football drafts. I have to because of the job. But if I'm playing, like, serious leagues – and you're playing, like, the, the high-stakes leagues, and that is when a lot of these drafts happen. But, like, if I'm just playing in a league with my friends, coworkers, whatever it might be, with the listeners, I'm trying to push that as close to the beginning of the season as possible. It's really nice that you can get a lot of value on players before you see them on the field, but – I just don't think that many people are actually doing drafts until like two weeks to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say like the, the drafts that people are doing now are the ones they don't have to manage in the season, like their best balls and things along that, those lines. No one, unless you're just absolutely insane, like <laughs> we are, um, is doing like, oh, hey, let's do all these leagues. I have to do waivers in now. Like those, no one's doing that. All right. Let's get to your hot takes then. Hot takes from the siege. You got five of them. Give me number one. 
Yeah, and these actually are in probably the order of hottest to, to, to least hottest. Um, I kind of wanted to get a couple warm-up takes in there before we get to the hottest take. Um, but this one I think is going to be pretty hot. Joe Mixon outscores Ezekiel Elliott this year. Um, I, we look at the Dallas Cowboys. This is a lot to do with what the Dallas Cowboys are looking to do. Again, the draft really tells you a lot of what a team is planning to do in the regular season. There's a lot of noise that comes in camp with like, oh, we're going to do this. It's like, well, yeah, the last three months, though, your roster moves have suggested you're going to do something completely different. Um, they've used two draft picks at the running back position. They used a fourth rounder on Tommy Pollard, who is just an abs- he's going to be an absolute stud this year. Um, like, if you can draft Tony Pollard, just do it. Um, and Mike Weber, um, they're, they're going to pay Zeke a new contract at some point. Zeke really can't hold out because he has to show up by August 4th to get that year to free agency. So he's going to show up. Um, at some point soon, if not today. I don't know if he showed up this morning. I guess they probably haven't had a show up yet in California. Um, we're recording this on Friday, so Zeke might have shown up by the time you listen to this. Um, but, you know, those two running backs, I think they're going to really – if they pay him, they don't need Todd Gurley 2.0. They want him to last throughout the entire contract. So I think the big workload that we've seen in past years just isn't going to hold up this year. So in terms of volume, then, if we look on a week-to-week basis, I have Zeke as my number one overall player in fantasy football. So I'm going to push back a little bit on this one. I, I see, was going to say, I suspect you would. Yeah, uh, I, I see where you're coming from with Mixon, because, I, I mean, I still can't figure out who my running back number five is. I released my rankings. It's currently Nick Chubb. It was Melvin Gordon at one point. It was Joe Mixon. It was James Conner. Just you talked to me on a different day. I have a different feeling. I have a very bad grasp of that second running back tier after the big four come off the board. But when I look at Mixon, I see the upside to being the number one player in fantasy. I just worry that, you know, you lose Jonah Williams for the season. Uh, Quint Bowling retires. It's just this offense in general that if we're going to bank on Mixon ending up with like six, seven, eight receptions a game to mitigate, maybe to offset what he does on the ground. Yes, he's going to get all the goal line work, but I still think that Zeke is going to get all the goal line work. Mixon will probably play around 80% of the snaps, but I think that even if he gets spelled, it does look like Zeke will probably play at a minimum still 80% of the snaps. I mean, he was up around like 90% last year. That would be a decrease in what they do. And if we're trying to project, well, you're talking about here's how the team's drafted, but oh, maybe this is just a hedge against if Zeke gets hurt because Dallas hasn't shown, even with a new OC, maybe that will change some things. But maybe the passing volume and the receptions go down a little bit, but even if he still ends up around his normal set of carries, because just because you're not on the field a bunch, we saw this with Melvin Gordon. Um, if you're playing fewer snaps, that's one thing, but that didn't directly relate to his actual workload. When he was on the field, he was getting the ball. I would expect the same thing, even in a decreased snap share for Ezekiel Elliott. Well, you have to remember they have a full year of Amari Cooper this year as well. Right. So it's not just that I'm projecting a lower workload. I'm also projecting that Amari Cooper is going to get a pretty similar amount of red zone work that he got in the second half last year across the entire season. So that's going to cause Zeke a couple touchdowns as well. You talked about Joe Mixon and the offensive lineman. I'm actually really not worried about that. I'm actually really happy that almost that that sort of happened because now everyone, he was going at the end of round one and he's starting to slide down boards because of this. You have to remember, This was a Marvin Lewis coach team that in the middle of the season thought, you know what's a good idea? Let's bring on the coach that just got fired from the Cleveland Browns, fired from the Cleveland Browns, to improve our offensive play calling. They're going from that coaching staff to Zach Taylor, who is a pretty solid wild card, but at least like he worked under Sean McVay. He knows what not to do. 
Like, he's not going to run the same boring offense that Hugh Jackson and Marvin Lewis ran last year. Brian Callahan likes to run the football. They like to run it out of three wide sets. There's going to be a lot more space for Joe Mixon. Um, and you also have to remember, too, that Joe Mixon is not a first-round pick. This is the last year before his holdout, next year. So the Bengals have every incentive to run him into the ground. Yeah, I get that too, but it seems like the optimal situation for Joe Mixon needs to happen. And even if like the 76th percent outcome for Ezekiel Elliott happens, Elliott could still outscore him in that setting. Like you talk about Amari Cooper maybe costing Zeke touchdowns. It's really hard to cost Zeke more touchdowns than he experienced last year. Like if he's not in double digit touchdowns, he's obviously not going to be the number one overall player, but he should really end up around 10, 11, 12, you'd think. I mean, we saw the floor last year was six, but I would still project him out to have double-digit touchdowns this season. Or nine you know, so last year. Also, there's a really, really cool Zeke fact I, I saw on social media, and I don't remember where I saw it, so I'm gonna, it's not an original stat of mine, but I'm going to use it anyways. Zeke hasn't finished within 70 PPR points of ever being running back one. And so, who, and it was a career. Well, he's played, what, three seasons now? Yeah, but that's still like that's not like oh he he didn't make it by twenty five points like that's like I didn't make it by five PPR points per game like that's that's a pretty step far step back that that is but I mean one season you can't really do anything with him in that because he missed six games uh, he was suspended so okay. that 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 season you kind of throw out the window so last year where did he end up uh, in terms of the PPR pantheon at running back was he number four I think he was number four I can pull it up really quickly. I mean, Christian McCaffrey just like broke the internet last year. Yeah, um, but I mean, if we're, I, I wouldn't expect Christian McCaffrey to reach the same levels as he did last season. I mean, even if he finishes, like I have Christian McCaffrey at number three, but I, I just think between him, Zeke, Kamara, and Gurley, or not Gurley, sorry, Elliot, that you know, even if you take a little bit away from the top end performances that we saw last year from a Barkley or even from a McCaffrey, they can still score right around the same range. Like even the top four are hard to differentiate from each other because you can make a very compelling case that without Mark Ingram, maybe we're overrating what we've seen from Latavius Murray. Now history would put in that, you know, Latavius Murray is going to have a role in this offense that's going to actively take away from Elvin Kamara. But if Kamara just turns into the guy that we saw the first four weeks last year, he's the number one player. Right, and he actually finished fifth because we're forgetting about that. Todd Gurley was actually good in the regular season. Yeah, what are you what are you doing with Gurley? Just as a, a not even not coming within, he won't end up on a single team. I roster. I, I I'm not taking him either, but like it's it's beginning to worry me. No, Pat, don't do it. it Let it, it go. It, it, it's one of these things. It's like when people play Jordan Spieth at majors that all of a sudden, like, hey, Spieth is six under, and he's tied for third. It feels like... And then, Gurley... and then he collapses in the, on Saturday and Sunday, and you remember why you didn't play him in the first place. Hey, dude, listen, it's one of these things where you're, you're actually now getting a value. Like, I don't want to take him over anyone I actually want, but, like, what if he oh. starts slipping to, like, the end of the third round? Again, this is exa- this is one another good example of what they did in the offseason does, doesn't match what they want you to believe, right? They had five picks. They traded away all those draft picks last year to, to load up that defense and try to win the Super Bowl. And then they traded their top two picks in the draft to draft Daryl Henderson. They did that to let him play eight snaps a game because Todd Gurley's great. Todd Gurley came out and said, well, when I come out on the field, we'll see how the knee feels. That's not exactly like inspiring a whole lot of confidence here. Are you drafting Henderson? Yes. When? When does he go in drafts? For you, I, I, I am perfectly happy to take him as early as round six, and I will not let him go past round eight, so, no matter what my team looks like. 
if he's in round six, like that means you're taking him over like the Kenny Galladay's of the world, Robert Woods, Chris Godwin, Kenyon Drake, Cooper Cup. Those guys are normally gone by this by that point. Like those are fourth guys. How many teams are you drafting with? Twelve. Twelve? Then really? That is not that is not what I've experienced, and that's also not what I'm seeing for ADPs. Well, I that, that's a, those are those are some very nice ADPs. Uh, you should be fine. If you, I wouldn't take them over any of those guys, but those guys are normally off the board. By All time. right, so you're taking him over the DJ Moore, Tariq Cohen, Evan Ingram, Tevin Coleman, Elshon Jeffrey, Tyler Boyd range. Yeah, that's that's the kind of range he's. That's the kind of range where he. I'm, I'm taking him at. Okay, let's get to hot take number two. You say that Jameis Winston will be a top three quarterback this year. I have him at number six, so I'm not completely off base with you. I see the path for him becoming the top three quarterback, and frankly, I think that his interception problem actually kind of helps his fantasy performance from time to time, but he goes through these stretches where he is just abysmal that he can get there, but he can also go the other way pretty quickly. I'm just – this is just a, I'm ignoring 2018. I'm just throwing the season out. It was – a very weird situation where he didn't play a lot in training camp because they had to get Ryan Fitzpatrick the reps. And then he sat out the first four weeks and then they threw him back in there randomly without taking a ton of reps. And then they benched him again. And then they, it just was a lost season for Jameis Winston. They brought on a new coaching staff. Bruce Arians revitalized Carson Palmer's career. Everyone forget when Carson Palmer went to Arizona, it was a joke. It was like, he couldn't figure it out with the Raiders. How is he going to figure it out in Arizona? And he was really, really good in that offense and extended his career. Now he gets a super talented quarterback in Jameis Winston. Byron Leftwich is the offensive coordinator. And if you have to look at someone who, who's played in the last 15 years for Jameis Winston's body type, like Byron Leftwich would be right there. And that was a guy that improved his accuracy across his entire career. Now, he never got that second chance, but he went from a 55% passer to 63-64 by the time he retired. So I really like the scheme in terms of making his accuracy a little bit better. The weapons are just phenomenal. Godwin, Mike Evans, OJ Howard, Justin Watson running little slot routes across the middle of the field. I'm forgetting someone else too. It's just an absolutely loaded offense. The defense is terrible. They're just going to have to throw, 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 and throw. Interceptions are only minus one or minus two. Touchdowns are four or six. Um, and he's going to have so much yardage. It's just hard for me not to see a scenario where he, unless he just is so bad, they have to bench him, but the backup's Blaine Gabbert. So the leash is going to be pretty darn long. Yeah, I'm with it too. And I think that he comes in at one of the best draft values. The only thing that I can see myself doing overtaking Jameis is Cam keeps dropping down all of these draft boards that if they end up going in the same spot, I think that's a real decision to make Cam versus Jameis. I'm not really too concerned about Cam's shoulder. I'm just concerned about the upside. Um, But I think that those two guys are sort of on a tier to themselves that if you end up taking a quarterback in the ninth, 10th round, which is presumably where they're going to go, that that's a decision you make. I'm not concerned about the other guy, the Matt Ryans of the world in that range. It would be Jameis or Cam for me, or I wait till the end and take my main man, Josh Allen siege. Oh, you're you're preaching to the choir on Josh Allen. Why Why are people so out on Josh Allen? I don't know. I really don't understand it because because he is not accurate. Who cares? That doesn't really that doesn't really matter. I don't as, get it. As long as he's running, then who cares? I I totally agree with you. All right. Like, is he probably going to not play? He's probably not going to play sixteen games like ever with his style. But I don't care. Like where he's going, he's free, and he'll he'll be like a top ten quarterback every week he plays. 
Yeah. So I went back and looked at these Zeke stats uh, for the past three years. He's finished, and I, I think this is one of the reasons to put him at number one. He might not finish as the number one overall player, even number number one overall running back, but just looking at it uh, in PPR scoring the last three years, he's finished inside the top five at running back. He's the only running back to actually do that. So there is a bit of safety, at least, knowing what you know about Ezekiel Elliott, that if you spend the very high pick on him, that he's going to actually return that value. Like when you look at the other players uh, inside the top five, like players pop in and out in terms of average fantasy points per game. So I, I think that's why there's that safety issue that goes along with him. I think that Barkley actually presents that too. I, I, I would take McCaffrey, Kamara, and DJ over Barkley or Elliott. What if, what, what, okay, so say that again. There's, you would take who? McCaffrey, Kamara, and David Johnson over those two before I, I like, I would have, I have Barkley four, Elliot five. You have David Johnson inside your top five or top four, huh? Yeah. I'm, I, I just can't. That, 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 that corresponds very well to hot take number four. That does correspond to hot take number four. So we'll save it for that. But I'm just a bit wishy-washy on David Johnson coming into this season. But uh, hot take number three. Evan Ingram outscores George Kittle me Timbers. But uh, you said this before the news that Sterling Shepard actually hurt his thumb. So he might miss some time, which would make this excellent for Evan Ingram. And I, I can see that coming along. But what is the case against George Kittle here? Because I've been, I still have him as my number two tight end, but I don't think that he's anywhere near Kelsey or even anywhere near the season that he put up a year ago, only because the offense is a lot better. They might be able to run the ball a little bit more. They don't just have to rely on him. And just some of these big plays that he ended up putting up just don't seem sustainable year after year after year. They're not, and their offensive talent is just so much better. They have Jalen Hurd. They got Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor. Um, you know, they, they got, got they uh, Kevin they, Coleman. They got they got Debo too. They got Debo. They, their offense is just loaded with talent, and they're just not going to have to give Kurt Kittle the workload that they gave him last year. Like last year was a situation of like everyone got hurt. Nick Mullins was the backup quarterback. He looked at his number one option, and his number one option just got hot. You know, you're, this is like basically a stock, and this is one of Nelson's biggest points about George Kittle, and I'm just going to basically steal the whole thing. Um, it's like a stock. Like, you're buying George Kittle at the highest price. And when you buy a stock, you want to buy low, sell high. You don't want to start buying high. Like, it's really hard for him to turn a profit on a second-round pick this year. Like, he can return that value if everything goes well, but he's not going to make or break – he's not going to make your season. He can break your season. Like, if he – performs like a seventh round player and you pay a second round price like that's not good so um i, I think he'll be fine i'm not saying he's going to be terrible but i just don't think he's worth the draft slot um this is actually a tempered down version from the hot take that i um but and it was before obviously Shepard got hurt but there's no odo beckham this year and evan ingram's been a red zone threat his entire career eli manning loves to throw the football over the middle of the field that all those targets this year are going to go to evan ingram um, uh, you know, he's a guy that can catch 80 balls this year on a really bad offense. Um, they're going to be playing from behind a lot, a lot of prevent defense at where he can just kind of stay underneath and catch balls. He's going to be one of those productive garbage time guys on a not competitive team. And the I, touchdowns, I think, are what's really going to separate him this year. The, the touchdowns could. I guess they throw some cold water onto all of that. So the Sterling Shepard news is that he fractured his left, for, left 
thumb. That's what the x-ray revealed. He could be ready for week one, but that status may be up in the air right now. The reason that I was a bit down on Ingram is that when you insert Golden Tate into that offense, presumably, I guess he plays the outside. Like they have three guys that are just really good out of the slot, uh, which is kind of strange. And if they end up having making a quarterback change, whether it be week six, week seven, or maybe not at all, either Eli is bad because he is bad or he's so bad that no one is doing anything. Then they have to put in a rookie who no one thinks is any good. So I just think that, well, but again, but but Barkley is sort of immune to this because that's the easiest throw on the field. Two yards in front of you. He's not, he's not immune to it. First of all, I, I think that he is immune to it that he's he's not going to set up all he set the record for like longest plays by like a lot like the number of 40 yards plays he had has only been done twice in nfl history by a rookie like it's but now but but now he's not a rookie anymore so now we can just go into the general volume of running backs it's just it's just it's just not sustainable like he's not like barry sanders did it once in his career like he he Go yeah, prove to me you're Barry. You're better than Barry Sanders now. He doesn't like, need to be better than Barry Sanders, but if the Giants are awful and they're constantly throwing, you could probably just pencil in Saquon Barkley for like six, seven, eight catches a game, and that does or, more than or that does just, more than enough. Evan, Evan Ingram's Ingram. not getting those targets. Like it's not like Evan Ingram's going to be taking a step back from the line of scrimmage. They're going to be dumping it off to him the entire time. That's what Barkley's going to be doing. Yeah, but then, but then when the defenses this year focus on Barkley and then Evan Ingram's open five yards down the field and he throws a five yard pattern. And then, and then you think that, then, then you think, then you too. think that Eli has to be able to make a five yard pass. Are we sure you can do that? I would like to, if you're talking about golden Tate catching those balls then certainly Evan Ingram I, I, I'm not necessarily talking about golden Tate catching those balls. I'm talking about golden Tate potentially getting those targets. Cause those are also the routes that he runs. Yeah. I, I I'm not really worried about that. I think Evan Ingram has shown that Eli Manning will throw on the ball. Uh, if he's on the field, the biggest problem with Evan Ingram, of course, is can he stay healthy for 16 games? But again, in, in season long, like I, I just want the guys that perform when they're on the field and I'll worry about filling in when I have to worry about filling in. The guy is just a super talent. Um, he's, he's performed well every year. Tight ends normally have a huge learning curve in the NFL. He didn't have it. He performed right away. Uh, this could be the breakout year for him. If there's no Shepard, I'm kind of with you that he can approach what Kittle might be up to. I think if Sterling Shepard is on the field along with Golden Tate, that he's just he's going to be too inconsistent week to week. And if he doesn't hit double-digit touchdowns, which I do not think that he will, then that ain't going to happen for him. Hot take number four. You think the Arizona Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. Why? Yeah, this this is the probably the hottest take of the entire bunch uh, from what I've seen on Twitter. Like their win total is five. This air raid offense is so good. And this is the biggest weakness in the NFL. We see it. Why did all these teams go to three wide and play out of shotgun? Because the slot corners in the NFL are terrible. They're not good. Like even the ones that we think are decent are bad. And so it's now what Arizona is going to do is by playing four wide is not only are you going to have to have a a nickel corner, you have to have a quarter corner. You have to have a fourth corner, a fifth corner. And that's just not going to work for these teams. These teams aren't built to be playing four or five corners every snap of every game. They're just going to wear you down. Um, you know, people say he only did it in the Big 12. That's not true. When he was offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, he led the SEC in rushing, passing, total yards, points scored. Those are all pretty important offensive categories. Um, you know, the defenses in college were terrible because, well, he was coaching a team in Lubbock, Texas. And no insult meant to Lubbock, Texas, but if you live in Lubbock, Texas, you know it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's really hard to get talent. In the NFL, it's really simple. There's these things called a draft and a salary cap. You get pretty comparable talent. So this offense is just going to be dynamic. Teams are only going to have one week to prepare for it. 
and they're going to do a poor job of it. They've got a pretty easy road schedule. Like they play at the Giants, for example, like that's a road game they can win. Um, they, they play a fourth place schedule. I think they can get to nine or 10 wins and that's going to be enough in the, in the, in the NFC this year. It could be, but you have to get past the Rams and the Rams are probably still going to end up making the playoffs. And it just feels like the 49ers are going to be better than the Cardinals. But then you start having, I mean, this, this is really projecting like, here's the thing. A lot of the internet is just saying that uh, both Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury with this new offense that's coming in is going to be amazing. But what some people presuppose is what if they're not? Then they're going to be really bad. Yeah, that's the thing. Like this can go but, one but, of two ways. Like I get, I get, I get, I get. Hold on, it's Pat's show. Calm down. All right, all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. If we're going to be projecting all of the good onto this, and everyone just wants the highest upside, and that this is clearly, and listen, it's within the range of outcomes. But when you have a quarterback, and I think Jeff Mann's really spelled this out quite well, that who's constantly just taking shots down the field or running the ball. What happens if he just takes a bad hit? We've seen guys go down. Rookie quarterbacks go down, especially running ones. You talk about Josh Allen not making it through the season. I know Kyler Murray, oh, he's not a thin fella by any means. He's pretty bulky, but he takes one bad hit, and they're just an absolute disaster. Like, it's hard to really, not only do you need him to be really, really good, this offense to be really, really good, the defense to improve, and you need him to be good right away, you also have to counter against injuries as well. And that's that's a lot to expect, especially from a rookie and a first-year head coach who, yeah, the internet's in love with, but do we actually know he's all that good? Sure, his, his offenses were pretty good uh, in college. This isn't college football Pretty good. Anymore. They led the NCAA every year. And, and, how, and, and, and how, how good were those teams? terrible because he he was at texas tech it's really he was having the best offense with c-level talent i mean when mike leach was there they were pretty good and they still had no defense under mike leach either yeah so they they what you're saying is the Cardinals should have just hired mike leach they probably he wasn't available like if he had wanted to go to the nfl he would have been in the nfl years ago they weren't guy. good because like his quarterbacks last year couldn't stand upright because he had C-level offensive lineman. He doesn't have that problem in the NFL. He's got NFL talent on the offensive line. Kyler Murray is also a better mobile quarterback than any of the options he had at Texas Tech. That's why he took him number one. He's a really, really dynamic athlete, a really good passer. They've got a ton of offensive weapons on that playbook. And if we start going like 49ers versus Cardinals in terms of offensive talent, position by position, you realize really quickly that Arizona is the better offensive team. Well, I mean, let's just start at the only position that truly matters. Who's better, Garoppolo or Murray? It's probably Garoppolo, especially right oh, now. No, the, no, it, no, You, no, you think that Kyler Murray is better than Jimmy Garoppolo this year? Yes. Jimmy G could get benched before this season's over. Really? For Mullins? Yes. Okay. If it, if their schedule's tough. Like, they have at Tampa week one in when it's going to be like 100 degrees in Tampa on, on like a 3 p.m. start. That's a pretty tough game. Then they go to Cincinnati in week two, which is which not is no easy task. Which is a pretty easy task. Cincinnati, I think their projected win total is four. No, there's no way the Bengals are projected for four wins. Bengals no way. win total. Maybe it's a bit higher, but I like seven or seven and a half. It's se- not, four. not every team in that division can be have like an eight and a half win total. That's insane. That's what I would do. You just put them all at seven and a half or eight, and let and let everyone else figure it out from there. Well, I mean, if you just want to, if you want to go to Siege's book where they can't make stands on things, sure. 
Where is win totals here? Win totals, NFL futures. Why can't I find fucking win totals? This sucks. A regular season win. Cincinnati is six and a half. And the under is being hammered. It's now minus 160 to bet the under on six and a half. Okay, but like when that, I mean, since, I mean, if, if San Fran goes into Cincinnati, that game's going to be a peck Oh, uh, not it, okay. If San Francisco week one plays Tampa and just wrecks them, uh, and the Bucks are another team with a well, six, if, six if, and a half. If they wreck Tampa, then Jimmy G is probably not getting benched. Yeah, that, that this we're is. Ta- we're, we're talking about the the scenario where he gets benched is that like they just start losing games early in the season. Like they play two games on the road and then they play the Rams at home. Okay. Like, uh, also, Jimmy G is not getting benched. That's not happening. <laughs> why not? Like we don't know if he's that good necessarily. The guy played well for five games at the end of a season when he had about 180 million dollar reasons to play well. Yeah, and, and they gave him the $180 million. It's very rare that you see a team go out and bench a guy that they're paying like $23 million bucks a year. It just doesn't happen. It, it very rarely happens. I, I, I'm just saying that like this idea that this offense, like they have all the weapons to be really good, but the biggest thing that might hold them back is the quarterback position. Like I, I absolutely would take Kyler Murray over Jimmy G if I was starting a team today. I mean, you would get the rookie contract, so obviously. I, yes. I, ignoring contracts, I would take Kyler Murray. Hmm, see, I don't know about that. And then, I mean, if we let's look at offensive coaching. Are you saying that Cliff Kingsbury is a better offensive mind than Kyle Shanahan is? Because I would disagree with that too. I think it's pretty close, but I think the offense. You, you just—it just feels like you really want this to happen, and like you, you're, you're, you're I not feel like everyone that you're watched not, college football for the last five years. Yeah, it's not the same game, Siege. It's not. But, like, but yeah, not, one offense. Uh, when you're saying that, oh, he has NFL level talent now. He also wasn't facing NFL level talent when this offense was working in college. Tell that, as to, well. the, tell that to the SEC. The SEC. Like, well, he's not like in the SEC. A year. But he's also not in the SEC. He was in the SEC when he was the Texas Tech or Texas A&M offensive coordinator. Sure, but he, he's also he just the obliterated Alabama with Johnny Manziel. Sure, but he also had Johnny Manziel, who was excellent. Everyone knows that Johnny Johnny Manziel. And is Kyler probably, Murray's not excellent. Uh, Johnny Manziel is the greatest quarterback in the history of football. So no, he's not. That's not happening. I once I, saw I, I, I once saw Johnny Manziel outside of a club in Montreal smoking cigs. I don't think I'm going to see that with Kyler Murray. You mean he's actually going to dedicate time to being a good quarterback? Yeah, I mean, he might. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he still might quit to go play football or play baseball, maybe. Uh, he's got, like, $50 million reasons to stay playing football. Maybe. Maybe he, you know, he hurts his knees. Hey, enough of this. Let me just go play baseball. I'm not going to get hurt doing that. And I'll get my guaranteed money. Uh, I, I think you're uh, – I think it's a lot of wishful thinking. Now, and, I, again, again, the offense that, it, that Cliff Kingsbury is bringing on is designed to attack the weakness of exactly what NFL teams are weak at. Their, their nickels and corner deep corners are very weak. Like, it's the problem that we have in the NFL is we don't have enough corners. And the air raid just says, okay, you don't even have two good ones. Now go have to play four, five, or six of them. Yeah, see, I think this gets back to our discussion at the beginning of you're just projecting of what you want to happen, how you evaluate the situation, just not how it's going to play out in reality. The Cardinals have a better chance of hitting their under five and a half wins than they do making the playoffs. I mean, sure, Pat, because the, the, the under it has a the under the win total has a fifty percent probability of happening. That's why they established the win total. Well, it, 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 according to you, it doesn't. Clearly, this is the one bet you need to make is the over on the Cardinals. I, and I plan on doing such things when I get to Las Vegas uh, towards the end of towards the end of August for the high stakes season long drafts. I, I, that's one of the f- few bets I will make. I'll make bet them to make the playoffs, and uh, I will bet them to uh, uh, 
you know, over five and a half wins. And when I was in New Jersey, I put Kyler Murray to win the MVP. So we, we are all in on this take. I mean, as someone who has very, a lot of experience, let's say, in making really horrible wagers, that's a horrible wager. What, what, uh, what, what is the payout on Kyler Murray MVP? At least 500 to one, right? No, 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 no. It's, uh, I think it was 100 to one. I see. That's, that's, that's not, 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 it's not good enough. Again, if, if, if Arizona makes the playoffs and this offense is dynamic and it's Patrick Mahomes like, how is he not in the finals, like, for the MVP discussion? I mean, to think that Kyler Murray is Patrick Mahomes just seems kind of crazy. It, it, but it's a pretty – he's got the skill set like Patrick Mahomes, maybe not quite the arm, but he's got the legs and, and the understanding of how to run the system that Patrick Mahomes does. Like, what Kansas City ran last year was a modified air raid. Like, it's not the air raid, but it's, it's a lot of the same concepts. And it broke the NFL last year. And I think that Arizona, like, I mean, they don't have as much talent as Kansas City does, but they've got a lot of talent. They can easily run this, uh, that kind of system this year. Well, I'm curious to track this to see how this turns out for you because we're not even talking. We talk about potentially leaking. If you can't leap the Rams, that's one team that you can't get past to make the playoffs. I think the Niners are better. You don't. So you can get past them. And then Seattle's a wild card. Everyone just kind of expects them to Seattle's drop off. Uh, yeah, everyone said Seattle was awful last year and they made the playoffs. They're Pete Carroll's a good coach. Uh, he doesn't do things properly or optimally, but he gets players to win games. And Russell Wilson is still the best quarterback in this division. Yeah, probably, but it's close. He is. And that go- having the best quarterback goes a long way. I don't know if Russell Wilson is an edge over any, like, I'm not like, if I was picking a game, I wouldn't be like, oh, Russell Wilson has such an edge over any of these quarterbacks that it's going to make the difference. Well, he's I, probably the best one. I think if you go back and look at like Seattle's record over the Russell Wilson era, that it would lean itself towards that. Cause Russell Wilson has been excellent. Basically every single, almost every single game, except for that, like four week stretch when he hurt his knee two years ago. I, I like Russell Wilson. I'm not going to talk down on Russell Wilson. All right. Last hot take. You say that Nick Foles starts all 16 games, which I don't know how in the world you could project, but and finishes as a top 12 quarterback. It's feasible. I'll give you that one. I'd still rather have Josh Allen. This this is about if can you name either of the Jaguars backup quarterbacks right now without looking? No. Yeah, I, I so when I was pulling up the depth charts the other day, I literally didn't. There, there's a backup. There's a battle for the backup quarterback job between Gardner Minshew and Alex McGaw, and I literally had no idea who Alex McGaw was. I literally thought it was like a fill-in name. I had to go research his history, and I watch a lot of college football, and I thought I knew every quarterback that was in the league. Uh, There is no competition for Nick Foles here, which makes sense. They gave him the contract and no backup quarterback would want to kind of come into that situation, but he's not getting benched for performance. Like, Oh, I I, have no other options. I'm not, I'm not worried about him getting benched at all. I'm just worried that if you're going to project him to play 16 games, like guys get hurt. Like that's just a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing happens, happens, right. But I'm, I'm not, I think when you have teams, quarterbacks on teams this bad, you normally are like, oh, like they're probably not going to make all the start. They'll make a quarterback change at the end of the season. And, you know, like if it goes poorly, none of those factors are in consideration here. This is just a, like Nick Foles is going to play 16 games if he's healthy and ready, able to play 16 games. I do enjoy that Jimmy Garoppolo's job is in jeopardy and Nick Foles is just clear sailing. If Nick, Mullins, if Nick Mullins was in Jacksonville, I would say Nick Foles had but, uh, I mean, like. Yeah, Nick Mullins is fun. We used him in fantasy, but it did lead to the Niners getting, what, the second overall pick? 
I mean, that's because they had literally no receivers or running backs that you could name. Like they started Kyle Juszczyk for weeks at running back because they were so injury. Oh, don't worry about Kyle Jurczyk. He'll find the field once again. Like that guy's, sure that, that guy's always going to be a problem. Yeah, they have upgraded, but there's, it's not like Dante Pettis wasn't there. He was there. They still had Tim, Tim, the tool man, Taylor. He was patrolling the slot and Kittle had the big breakout. Like their offense wasn't a complete disaster last season. It wasn't good by any means. And it feels like it should be elevated with Jimmy Garoppolo. It just seems really strange. Is it just because you're a big Pats homer and the Pats got rid of him? So you're on board with Jimmy G sucking because the Pats know what they're doing. No, I, I just think that this is a situation where, like, they had to give him the contract because they had no other option. But, you know, I, I don't know anything, obviously, but there's been whispers in the, uh, in, the, in the fantasy community that they wish they hadn't given him the extension. Oh, please expand upon that. I'd like to hear about these whispers. It, it's just that, like, that they regret giving him the extension. And if they start poorly, and it's really just if they start poorly, right? If they go like three and three, he's not going to get benched. But at Tampa, at Cincinnati, home against the Steelers, home against the Browns, at Rams, like one and four is in the range of outcomes. And are they going to sit there and let Jimmy G start, uh, you know, week six if they're one and four? Yes, yes, they will. They will absolutely let him start if they're one and five, one and six to start the year. He's playing the whole season, man. Uh I, I'm not, I'm just not so sure. You know, they've got a lot of offensive talent and if they think he's holding it back, like they might pull the trigger. All right. So again, with Nick Foles, if he finishes as a top 12 option at quarterback, let's say, then you're correct on this. Who is the biggest benefactor in the Jags offense? I hope it's Didi because Didi is my guy. It's Didi Westbrook. Westbrook. Okay. So we're on the same page that Didi rules. Yeah. Didi's awesome. But who else is it then? Because, I mean, it would have to be more than Didi. Like, do you expect Fournette to have a huge role in the passing game? I could see it bumping up, but it's not like he's going to be a guy who's running routes out of the backfield and gets targeted nine times a game. I think it's going to be – I think it'll be just a lot of guys being okay and not fancy relevant. Like, they still have Marquise Lee and DJ Shark and um, just another receiver I can't think of. Ke- they Ke- picked Ke- up a young tight end. They still have Keelan like, Cole for the moment, too. Keelan Cole, like – I just feel like a bunch of guys will be decent. I don't think there's going to be like, a, like an, uh, an obvious like, oh, like, you know, there's two options on the Jaguars. I, I don't know if we'll see that, but it's like, you know, it'll be like 3K punts. We'll be like, well, you know, you can go with Jaguars receiver X for 3K on DraftKings this week. He's got some touchdown upside as the potential wide receiver too. Wait, how many touchdowns does Foles need to throw, do you think, to finish as a top 12 guy? Like 35? Yeah, 30, 35, somewhere in there. That's a lot. Like, I'm just trying to think of the quarterbacks. And quarterback is, you know, it has the most variance of any position year to year when you go look at it. So you could almost name anyone who starts in the NFL. And if they finish as a top 12 quarterback, you'd be kind of stunned. Except for Matt Stafford, because he consistently finishes like 17th or 13th or something like that. Never really breaches into that upper echelon despite playing every single game. But, like, with his lack of running ability to set a floor for himself, where you have the Lamars, the Josh Allens, the Kyler Murrays. Hell, even someone like Kirk Cousins just ends up with his rushing touchdowns by the end of the year. Like I think it's far more likely someone like Kirk cousins finishes as a top 12 quarterback than someone like Nick Foles. Yeah, this is about Nick Foles. Like if he like playing 16 games, that's why like that caveat sort of there, like, Oh, he's going to play 16 games because like, I don't think he's going to be a top 12, like points per week. I, I don't think that, but I think that, you know, like guys go down, guys get hurt and he'll outscore guys that play like 12 or 13 games. You know, guys that play 12 weeks get benched, kind of like Cam last year, for example, situations like that where they shut it down guy early 
and Nick Foles sneaks by them late. I think he's just going to kind of be a steady Eddie option. I don't think like points per game is going to be tough for him. But like but I mean I mean what is the point of even bringing this up? Because you're not even going to draft. If that's the case, you're not going to draft Nick Foles because you'd be better off drafting all the better quarterbacks. And if they get hurt, just picking someone else up. Right. Well, Nick Foles is like the type of guy you should be looking to pick up in those scenarios. That's I, the point of bringing it up. Maybe, or there could be a backup and a better matchup. You were not really going to know that at the time. It's like the Frank Gore thing. Like, I it like when people look back at how, how did people finish where weeks one to 17, it's like, well, what's it matter what happened in week 17? As most people do not play week 17, that's sort of irrelevant. So it's weeks one to 16 and those 15 in those 15 games, what did the players end up doing? And what are they, I think points per game, especially when you're looking at like the very best players is what you need to be looking at over the season long totals. Cause yeah, Frank Gore finished inside. He's been a top 20 running back for eight consecutive years yeah he was number 20 and he played every single game he was useless to start on your team basically unless he was a backup that you had to fill in for right i mean also too like you know two quarterback leagues becoming more and more prominent he's a perfect quarterback too you just put him in there and you you don't think about it again i guess so but i think i would even i would want two quarterbacks that are better than nick Foles if i was playing two quarterback or super flex you're also gonna have to pay for that i would but i i would pay for it in that type of format well you know that that's 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 your prerogative and why you draft bad um oh well i mean i actually do quite well in two quarterback leagues i actually think that is the move you need to have two awesome quarterbacks you hit on that you're just running away with the league yeah it's, it's just a lot harder sometimes to find two good quarterbacks than you think it is maybe oh, yeah you do you do need to hit it but that you can almost say that with every position like the people i'm big on drafting kittle or not kittle sorry kelsey almost as early as possible this season if that goes poorly like my team's not going to be very good to tell you the truth but if that works i feel like i have a substantial advantage on the field if i'm picking from like the 10 hole or the nine hole wherever that may be yeah that that's the type of spot where you should be taking kelsey because it's just a black hole yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't differentiate between those running backs anyway. So if I can take Kelsey, wrap it around with a high-end receiver, or maybe one of the running backs that I have higher on my tier, whether it's someone like Dalvin Cook who drops there, someone like you mentioned, like Mixon. If you started your draft off Kelsey Mixon, or even Mixon Kelsey, depending on if you know the room that you're drafting with, that seems like a pretty good start from the back end of the first round. I totally agree. Okay, so let's get into these camp battles then, because I think this is really interesting. Let's start off with the Pittsburgh Steelers and their... Just their entire offense. We know Juju is going to be ingrained. Everyone's really big on Vance McDonald. I am too. I think that he's going to be there. Then you have James Washington, Deontay Johnson, and Dante Moncrief. Who do you think wins that job? Because I think it's going to be Moncrief. This is one where I really have to try really hard to not put my personal perspective on the talent in the situation because I think Moncrief wins the job, but I'm not sure how long he can hold off Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson was a player that I was super high on coming into the draft. And when he went to the Steelers in the third round, this is a team that just has developed wide receivers forever. I felt much better about the evaluation. But that, that, once I saw that strikes me as Deontay Johnson will be really good next year or the year after. Cause we even saw this with James Washington last year. Like he was there, but then all of a sudden when like Eli Rogers was healthy, Eli Rogers was playing and James Washington was a healthy scratch. Like the history of the Steelers developing wide receivers is true, but it rarely happens as a rookie. It usually happens somewhere down the line in their career. That's why I, I just Dante Moncrief is just really not good at football. I just uh, can't imagine. I, I don't know about I that. Ju- I, everyone in the fantasy community is trying to make Dante Moncrief thing happen for like a decade now. Like every year, it's like, oh, Dante Moncrief, this is the breakout year. Whether it was with the Colts or whether it was with the Jaguars, everyone just made trying to make Dante Moncrief a thing forever, forever. 
Like, I think he starts with the job. I'm just not sure how long he can hold on to it. And as you mentioned, this is an offense that has James Conner, Juju, and Vance McDonald. So we're probably looking at this guy being, even if they're the wide receiver two in name, they're probably like the fourth or fifth option in the offense anyways. Um, so it might not be as important as we think it is, but I, it probably is Moncrief over Washington, but Moncrief just isn't very good. Well, I, listen, I, I'm I'm with you on the fact that even if Moncrief is technically the wide receiver too, that doesn't necessarily make him the number two option. I, I completely agree with that. I'm not reaching for Dante Moncrief in drafts. He's available in like the last round. Maybe I'll take a flyer and maybe it works out. We do know that there's yardage and touchdowns to be had somewhere in this offense. And I think a lot of people are projecting that onto Vance McDonald, who another guy who just can't stay healthy. So beware with Vance McDonald from that perspective. But the Connor thing is the most interesting because a lot of people are like, oh, you can't – because I am now more leaning towards like Connor towards the top end of that running back two tier, like along with Mixon in the same sort of role. But people are like, oh, no, no, Jalen Samuels, he's going to come in. He's going to catch passes. They're going to split time. Snell is going to come in near the goal line and steal his touchdowns. But history has taught us with the Steelers that if your running back one is healthy, he's the guy who plays and that's it. My favorite thing is, oh, they brought in the running backs coach from Texas or from NC State that knows Jalen Samuel as well. The guy never averaged more than like 13 touches a game when he was at te- NC State. How is that a good thing? Yeah, and it's not uh, like he was, and it's, he wasn't even running the ball. He basically played like H back. He's like Delaney Walker. Yeah, I, I'm all about James Conner. I'm not worried about Benny Snell. I don't think he's very good. I'm not sure necessarily that the coach, that, that, that he's going to be like a guy they try to force onto the field. Like, okay, if he gets on the field because of injuries and performs, then he becomes a concern for James Conner later on. But it's going to be James Conner's show to start the year. And if he plays well, it's going to be his show the whole way. I completely agree. Uh, I think that his leash may not be as long as some of the other high end running backs, but if he, if he just performs weeks one and two and almost comes out of the gate, like he did last year, it's just his job. And that's the way it's going to be. And he's going to be a volume monster. So I do like James Conner a lot. The New England Patriots wide receiver two situation right now. I mean, it's it, it, you could almost say, like, who are the outside guys going to be on the Patriots this season? We know Edelman, although he's banged up already, he should be ready to go uh, week one. He's going to be there. I'm, I still just love drafting James White anywhere, whether it be standard or PPR. He's going to end up with his catches over and over again. I don't know what to do with Sony Michelle. Probably just won't draft him uh, when they spend. You say you can telegraph what people do in drafts, them drafting another running back to fill basically the same role as Sony Michelle has. Has, has me worried about his potential upside or maybe even his health. But on the outside, you got like Dorsett, Inman, Nikhil Harry, who they took in the first round. Uh, Demarius Thomas returning from injury is someone who could be in that mix as well. Josh Gordon could eventually come back. I wouldn't count on it, but he could be thrown in this mix too. I would say that Dorsett might be the safest of these guys to play the most snaps only because he's done it in this offense. Brady trusts him. He's not great, but I think he'll see the field a ton. This is how I was leaning before the injury happened to Julian Edelman. Now I think Nikhil Harry is going to win this job in camp. Um, Bill Belichick has never taken a first-round receiver, and I actually went back and watched all of the Kill Harry's games last year under Herm Edwards at Arizona State, you know, playing a pro-style offense. And what did, what did Bill Belichick see when he watched this tape that made him want to take a receiver in the first round forever? And when I went to, into the, watching the tape with that mental approach of what I was looking for, I realized really quickly that he's the exact type of guy that Tom Brady is going to love. Like, if he throws it into an area that he can catch the ball, he's going to catch the ball. The biggest problem with him is separation, and Tom Brady's been throwing the Gronk without much separation forever. 
Um, he's going to be a huge red zone threat. He can run all those underneath stuff. He can make people miss once he gets going. He's a big target. Tom Brady loves big targets. And I thought that the biggest issue for him was going to be, you know, getting Brady to trust him. But we did see a couple years ago, Malcolm Mitchell, before his knee just ruined his career, that he earned Brady's trust quickly. And Edelman not being around in camp to give all those extra reps to Harry, I think is going to really help Harry win this job. I can see it, but then who plays on the outside? I mean, you could have Harry on the outside, and then you could have Dorsett on the outside as well. Right. I, I think so. And then Edelman in the slot. But I think you'll see a bunch of, um, you know, Edelman outside uh, snaps this year, too, with James White playing a bunch of slots, too. I, I wouldn't just rule that out. Yeah, and then you can also have, like, Matt Lacoste and even Ben Watson, once he ends up returning from his suspension, they can just play some big jumbo to tight end sets and just run the ball a ton because they're not immune to doing that either. Nope, and play action. And if they run a bunch, if they do that and they run a bunch of play action out of that, Harry is just, like, the perfect downfield target for Brady to go try to hit. All right, just overall San Francisco depth chart. Um, Do you see that Marquise Goodwin didn't get his million dollars for winning that weird Asian competition? No. Yeah, he, he's never been paid for it. So, I mean, the, the guy needs to really perform on the field now. But it does seem to me like Dante Pettis is the guy who is in the best chance to break out. I think some people will say Debo. But as a rookie, it's a bit of a tougher task. I think Pettis knows this offense a little bit better. Uh, I obviously do not know what his rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo is because we didn't see it last season. Hey, but, hey, if Nick Mullins comes in after you know the first half of game one, like you seem to think, then maybe it's all gravy. <laughs> Let's be clear. Did not say that, Pat. Let's uh, the hot the take is hot enough itself. We don't need it to uh, hit the internet's in uh, fake in fake news form. Um, you got Pettis, you got Bourne, who knows the offense. I, it does look like Taylor is going to end up playing the slot. That's like the one thing that I think that you can kind of pencil in, and we'll see who ends up on the outside after that, along with Pettis. That'd be my guess. I'm just not sure that it's really going to matter. Like I think these guys are all going to rotate. Like, outside of Pettis and Taylor, like, I think you're going to see a bunch of Goodwin, Samuel, Bourne, Jalen Hurd. They can slide him in and play tight end, too. I've seen that kind of report out of camp. I think you're just, this is going to be one of those teams that plays a lot of guys, rotates a lot of guys, tries to play quick. Uh, so I'm not really sure it's going to matter outside of Pettis or Taylor. Um, but I think I would like Bourne the most to start week one, and I think Samuel probably has the best chance of being the starter come, like, week 12. Okay, so in Seattle, after Tyler Lockett, we're looking at Gary Jennings, David Moore, Jaron Brown, and DraftKings Metcalf uh, as the number one, number two, and number three receivers. I would think that David Moore just ends up on the field a ton, maybe as the wide receiver three, just because he played really well in that. I think that there's a chance that David Moore could lead this team in fantasy points from the wide receiver position solely because I don't know if you want any Seattle wide receivers because they're just really looking to run the ball as much as possible. I'm a huge Tyler Lockett fan who I left off this list because he's the wide receiver one. He's just going to play. He he is the wide receiver one, but he like severely overachieved last season. Like if we're talking about like Kittle, well, it'll be tough for him to replicate what he did last season. I think that a lot of the high end production that we saw from Lockett is just due to come back to earth a little bit. That doesn't mean he can't see more volume and become a better receiver because that's on the table too. Now with no Doug Baldwin around being the wide receiver one, I can see that, but the heights that he hit last year on an efficiency basis strike me as hard to repeat yeah totally agree but i i do like the volume up uptick for him every time he touches the ball things happen for that seattle offense and a lot of the reps too when like seattle does 
throw the ball. It's out of play action, which are really strong targets to be getting, uh, especially because Seattle loves to run the ball and people are actually going to respect the play action when Seattle runs it because like, oh, they're probably just going to run the ball again anyways. Uh, so, you know, he's going to get a little more open down the field than maybe most players on other teams would in similar situations just on how much Seattle runs the football. But I'm with you. I actually like David Moore the most here as well. I, I don't – this is, again, trying. I'm trying not to per, portray my own evaluation onto DK Metcalf. Uh, but, uh, his name is uh, – he's actually been bought out. He's DraftKings Metcalf. Ah, DraftKings Metcalf. I worry about his – being good tree you mean, you mean and, his being goodness <laughs> yeah but i don't want to like again that's my evaluation but i think the thing that most everyone acknowledges that he has to work on is his route tree and i think that that's those those are the rookie receivers i really just never draft the ones that like i have really concerns about if they know how to run a route tree because you can't coach that right away. That takes a lot of just practice reps, and they just don't get enough in the NFL to make that happen as a rookie. And so I, I would lean more or Jennings or Brown over Metcalf at this point. All right, Sorry, DraftKings. Yeah, I know. I mean, maybe he'll just be awesome. He's just a guy that – I just think that Metcalf is a guy that you'll want to play on DraftKings basically every single week and hope for those two games when he puts up, like, the three catches for 170 yards and two touchdowns and just hope for that because he'll end up being, like, 3,000 every week. Oh yeah, he's gonna be in that in that tier of guys that's just like, well, we, he he's got huge upside. He's gonna be like the new Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah, like he's gonna have like three or four weeks every single season where he just absolutely destroys the slate, and then the other twelve weeks he absolutely destroys your DraftKings team. Yep. Well, that, the good news is that you if you hit the DK Metcalf weeks, hopefully you make enough to pay for the week three puts up zero for you. Yeah. See, this is this is what we always talk about. So I, I, we got time for like three more of these very quickly, unless you just want to rapid fire through them. This Eagles running back situation, you have five of them now because Sproles resigns. You got Sproles, you got Sanders, you have Jordan Howard, Wendell Smallwood, and Corey Clement. This almost has to be a wait and see because they're not going to just roster five running backs. At least I don't think they're going to end up doing that. That seems kind of insane. But the answer to this question is you don't want any of them correct we can move on Sproul, you know what, you know what? no matter what you think Sproul, no matter what you think it's a timeshare we can move on Sproles will be the only viable one because he's free and he'll just have a bunch of catches I, I i literally just wouldn't touch a single one of them okay next one packers wide receiver two and three you got geronimo allison versus mvs i think that's the biggest battle that we're looking at uh, jake camaro uh, is on there too the internet also loves him he's turning into the new jeff janice in a very sneaky way and then you have jamon moore who's like not very good yeah I, I think the real battle here is between valdez scantling and uh saint brown for that outside receiver i think mvs is just going to win this one out of camp uh, but I wouldn't sleep on St. Brown. Uh, when, when he was forced to play last year, Rodgers did give him a lot of high leverage targets on third down in the red zone, and he played pretty well. Um, so if he gets his way onto the field, he really could become an issue later on. This you, you have more Notre Dame bias than Tim Andrews does. I mean, if you go back and look at it, like I didn't, like I think that, you know, the Rodgers chemistry with him was pretty darn good last year. So I, I'm not saying he's going to start. Like if, if I was being a homer, I'd be like, oh, he's going to win this job. I'm just saying when he gets on the field, he has a chance to just earn himself more reps. 
Uh, Cardinals wide receiver three and four. Now, according to you, this is going to be very, very valuable as it pertains to fantasy. I'm not super concerned about it. I guess you have Andy and Andy Isabella and then Chad Williams who they drafted last season. I, I would just think that it's Isabella to tell you the truth. I know there are other names. You can throw Kevin white into that mix, whoever you want. It just seems to me like if you're going to spend that draft capital on Isabella, you're going to play this air raid, just throw it to the super fast guy all the time. I think Isabella wins this job as well. Um, but there's a bunch of like high upside guys that just never really panned out. Chad Williams, Kevin White, like that former first rounder at Burner. Um, and then a Butler, of course, out of Iowa State's kind of a red zone freak. I don't, I think he's like got a better shot of winning the wide receiver four gig than the three gig. But and, yeah, and, this, is a, this, and, this is a fantasy relevant spot because they're going to be in three wide at least basically like the entire game. I think it is. I just, you really need to think that the Arizona offense is going to be awesome if they can support. Cause like Fitz is just going to get his, I don't think he's a particularly good pick, but he's going to get enough to take away from the other guys. People expect a leap from Christian Kirk this season. Everyone's projecting David Johnson to do a bunch and then to have another fantasy viable asset in this offense. It seems a bit extreme. Or you, if you think they make the playoffs and are going to be a top five offense in football, that they can do this. So yeah, I, I, notice how these, now these, all these all link together. At least you're consistent on that end of tying all of this together. I do get that. But even in the years when like Peyton Manning ended up throwing for 50 touchdowns, like that's how Brandon Stokely ended up making his juice because Peyton threw so many touchdowns. Eventually there gets to a point where not everyone can be good on your fantasy team. Possible. And I do think that Pharaoh Cooper, if he's in this mix, ends up making the team to return kicks. Right. Totally agree. Agree there as well. Uh, so I think this is an easy one to tell you the truth. Tampa running backs, Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, just draft Peyton Barber. He's going like the 12th round and he's going to be the running back. He might not be good, but he's going to be the guy. I, I vehemently disagree. This is the Ronald Jones gig this year. It's not. Uh, if it was the Ronald Jones gig, we would have heard about that already. We have started to hear about it like quietly, like that he's been outperforming Peyton are, are, Barber. Are, they, are, 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 they, are these like the same as like the whispers you heard about Jimmy Garoppolo potentially being benched that are just unsubstantiated and you may have made up? I, I'm, I'm not, I'm just telling you straight up that like Ronald Jones, like last year, there was a lot of uh, stories about his lack of conditioning. Those aren't an issue this year. Uh, put on a little more muscle this year in the off season. Um, the, Ronald Jones had literally one of the worst seasons ever for a second round running back. They want him to win this job. If, if it's a tie, he's going to win this job. Uh, I would take Ronald Jones over Peyton Barber. Peyton Barber had one of the worst efficiency seasons for anyone ever to have 200 plus touches. Yes, I mean, I, I completely with agree, agree with you. Peyton Barber is not great by any means, but I think his veteran guile with a head coach like Bruce Arians might actually mesh really well. And if he's asked to protect Jameis Winston, I think that could be a key for him. Uh, we know that he's not a great pass catcher, but he can handle like three, four dump offs a game. And if Bruce Arians, you know, it, it, Bruce Arians isn't running the air raid. Right? Everyone sees him as a very progressive type of coach, but he's not afraid to sit back and hand the ball off either. And I think that he might want a grinder, someone like Peyton Barber. I'm playing the coach here over what the talent might actually dictate. Ronald Jones reminds me more of David Johnson, who's a guy he took in the third round when he was at Arizona. Yeah, but so, uh, that, I mean, that's but, the reason why I'm kind of on Ronald Jones. Like, reminds you of David Johnson is one thing. Bruce Arians didn't draft Ronald Jones, and Ronald Jones is not as good as David Johnson. I totally understand that, and I was not implying anything to say. I was not implying Ronald Jones is anywhere near as good as David Johnson. Yeah, but wait till I just splice that together to make it sound like you did say that, though. Ronald Jones is as good as David Johnson. Yeah, well, uh, 
but that uh, that's why you have to be nice to you at all times. Exactly. Uh, this one I don't really think is a training camp battle. It's Damian Williams, Carlos Hyde, and Darwin Thompson. This is Damian Williams' job. The question is, can he hold on to this job for an extended period of time? I think that's what you were getting at with this. Yeah, this one is not really a training camp battle per se. He's going to be the guy, assuming he can make it through training camp without getting hurt. A concussion. Um, Damian Williams, big fan of concussions. He just, you know, a guy who's never had more than 50 NFL carries in a season. Um, everyone's just plotting, plugging in for 250. I would very much caution you guys against that. Uh, last one. I think this one is very interesting, and I think it's more – I don't actually think it's a battle right now. This is one of these things where the internet is making it a battle where they're projecting Royce Freeman to be really good and Philip Lindsay to take a huge step back. And I see that case. I completely understand it. But for the moment, even returning from his injury, Lindsay looks like he's healthy. This is going to be Lindsay's job, at least from the outset. I think that Freeman can take this job from him with a leap in year two, but it's an awful lot. Like I've been seeing Freeman move up and up and up and up draft boards. And I think that, that could very much work out for whoever takes him there. But you could also be dealing with Royce Freeman from last year who just touches the ball 33% of the time, and that's it. I think that you – Devontae Booker, there's already reports that he's just not going to make this team. Well, that's and good, because as he, he shouldn't. <laughs> right, and he, but he played a lot of snaps last year. So if Royce Freeman could take all those snaps out of Devontae Booker's role, and it wouldn't be a direct correlation, right? Lindsay would take more of the Booker role, and Freeman would take more of Lindsay's role. But in terms of snaps – it would be Freeman taking Booker snaps. I think that makes Freeman the better option here. I think it's going to be pretty close to a 50-50 time split. But I think Royce, at the end of the day, is the better red zone threat. And I think that makes him the better play. Um, I just I don't have any Philip Lindsay interest this year. The guy I would be taking later than Lindsay is Royce. Yeah, I, mean, I think objectively as a draft pick in fantasy, Freeman is the better pick because it's just not going to cost you the same draft capital. But like two weeks ago, Royce Freeman was going around pick 100. Now he's jumping up into like the late 60s as Lindsay starts to fall down a little bit. Oh there, God, that's there, way too early. Yeah, there eventually becomes a breaking point where you have now just basically baked in that he's going to be the starter, which he's not at the moment. Yeah, the, like I would not be taking Royce Freeman over that Mike Williams Lockett ridley tier like if that's where and that's, that's where you say he's starting to go that's way too early yeah like he's getting into the tier of christian kirk latavius murray like i would rather have latavius if you're gonna bank on a backup running back or someone on the back end of the wrong end of a split just give me the guy in the saints offense who if kamara gets hurt is going to be a top five running back and they're gonna play two running backs in that system they give tim tower carries there like if they give tim hightower carries in the name of playing two running backs they're gonna give latavius murray carries yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think that Latavius Murray is a, I wouldn't say an excellent pick, but if you want to take him in the seventh round, I got no problems with that whatsoever. I think that's a, I think that's a, uh, t- a one of those league winning picks that kind of can help you out there. It, it, it could be, but he is someone that you can just play as a flex every week anyway, if you're in, in dire straits, or if you just, if you play like zero RB or just take one really good running back, you could piece together a running back to potentially out of him if he gets the role that we expect him to get. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Siege, any final thoughts before I let you out of here? Uh, no, I think we discussed them all. All right, cool. Siege, you can follow him on Twitter at TheSiegeDFS. That's that's right, right? Yep, it is. All right, uh, you should change your Twitter name to Siege's Christ. That would be hilarious. <laughs> you know the problem is I would not be able to get the old Twitter donated back. There would be a troll that would take that in five seconds. Yeah, it would probably be me to tell you the truth. There's a lot of people just lining up with like push alerts and notice if you ever change your name. But Arbor Pro, again, tell the people out there what's going on. If there's any discounts, you let the people know. 
yeah, there there is a, a fifty dollar promo code uh, NFL Launch nineteen um, and uh, season long content. We're rolling it out. Uh, rank three ranking sets, uh, podcast draftcast where we kind of go through the drafts as we do them. Talk about all the decisions, how you should be building your roster, um, all those sorts of intricate details that you kind of need. And honestly, they can help you in your home leagues too. Like if you build a good roster and all your other league mates build rosters like Pat Mayo that aren't good you'll win. And so uh, we cover all that uh, mailbags and all the like start sit uh, as when the season starts uh, tons of content. So check us all out at arborpro.com. That, that should be on the drop page. The uh, just recommending the opposite of what Pat does equals success. And then boom, that's what we do at Arbor Pro. I'm just, I'm just, I'm giving you so many ideas here. You really are Pat. Uh, we'll have to implement a couple of these. All right. CJ Calton back. Thank you for being on the show. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebooks at the PME. I told you about the giveaways that you can get it to. If you forget them, just rewind back to the beginning of the show and you'll be all good. Just remember to subscribe to the Pat Mayo experience audio podcast. That really does go as the best thing you can do for the show. Even if you don't listen to podcasts, just download them. And it really does go a long way in helping spreading the word of the show. And just tell like three of your friends and then you don't need to listen anymore and they'll get my bad advice and boom. You'll beat them in your leads. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo experience! Experience!